Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's click or open our Bibles to Revelation 1. We're going to be using the entirety of the book of Revelation this morning, so I hope you'll keep your Bibles open and uh, ready as we walk through this text. If you're visiting Christ Church, I am, uh, my name is Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here, and I need to set you up for where, we're, where we've been so you know where we're at today. Uh, if you are visiting, we are completing a nine-week series of messages called Liberated, and the whole focus of this uh, is something that I was taught within the last two years that really excited me is something that I think helps me in my discipleship and I hope it will help you in yours. And that is we've been looking at the rhythms by which God liberates us. And if you go all the way back to his promise in Genesis and his liberation of his people from Egypt in the book of Exodus, you're gonna see that God has a pattern and a rhythm by which he uh, frees his people. Now, who are his people? Some might say that it's an ethnic group or a specific group of people. And I'm here to tell you that if you read the entirety of scripture, you're going to understand that God's covenant relationship with people is based on three standards that we see throughout the scriptures. Those who will listen to him and trust him and obey him. Those are his people. It has less to do with ethnicity than it does to faith and how we live this out. So if we're listening to his words, trusting in who he is, and obeying what he asks of us, we, have, we are in a relationship with him by which he can liberate us from our slavery. And as we learn in this series, we always begin in slavery and we'll end in worship. If you have been liberated by God, you will free, be freed from slavery so that you can worship. Now, having given you all that background, I want to walk through the last eight weeks. Now, it took me 28 minutes a week to do this, so we'll be here a while, so get comfortable. We'll take a potty break. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Let me tell you what we've learned so far so you can see the rhythm. If you go all the way back to God calling Noah, when God looked down on the earth and saw that it was corrupt and he brought the flood, he invited Noah into liberation, that I will free you from this punishment if you listen to me, trust me, and obey me, and Noah built an ark. Then he called Abram, many, many years later, and he said, I want to make you the father of a nation that I am going to call out of this world to listen, trust, and obey me. And Abraham does that. Through the stories of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to the life of Moses, who was called to deliver God's people by God's mighty hand rather than Moses' mighty hand, we began to see this rhythm that is showing itself repeatedly that God calls us to listen, trust, and obey. It shows Moses being called. He goes in before Pharaoh. He leads the people out after a series of plagues where God brings Pharaoh to his knees and he shows the entire world that there is one God, not many, and Pharaoh is not one of those others either. And in the midst of all of this, God is showing through his daily provisions of manna, of quail, of water in the wilderness, and then delivering them into the land that he said he would, God is demonstrating his faithfulness. Joshua then, when Moses dies, Joshua becomes the leader of God's people and he leads them into the promised land and he overcomes the great city of Jericho and they learn through the highs and lows of faithfulness that when we listen, trust, and obey God, he is faithful. When we don't, there's a discipline that comes. That discipline is brought to us because of our failure, but I want you to know the goodness of God is that even when he disciplines us, he disciplines us for restoration I think this is one of the most unforgot or forgotten things about God is that God never disciplines because he's angry. God disciplines so that he can bring us back and restore us through repentance. God is always trying to get our attention. 
We have men like King Saul we talked about. Saul for a while followed God and then he decided to rely on his own strength, his own power and his own wisdom and he failed. King David had the highs and lows of being a man trying to be faithful to God but the difference between David and Saul is when David failed, David repented and returned to God. Saul rejected God and so he was rejected. David returned to God and so he was able to return. You see, this listening, trusting, and obeying is not just a recipe to make God love you. It is the way we demonstrate our love for God. It's the way that we give ourselves to him and we remain faithful to him. You see, every Exodus story in scripture, through all of these stories, the calling of God, the listening to his call, trusting in him and obeying him, if you go through the story of Noah or Abraham or Joseph or David, any of the ones in the story, you're gonna realize they are temporarily satisfying and frustratingly incomplete. You realize that, right? In your own walk of faith? If you're trying at all to follow God, there'll be seasons of great highs, followed by seasons of the mundane, followed by some seasons of the great lows. In the last three weeks, I've had more coffees with men my age and older who have tried to follow Jesus for 30 or 40 years, who got to a spot where they were dishonest and said to me, it's just meh. I, I, don't, I don't feel anything. I don't feel like I'm growing. I'm not connecting. And I asked him, did you ever connect? Oh, there was a season back at a great high on the mountaintop where I had that. But ever since then, it's just been really hard. And I just become distracted and disinterested. And I'm like, yes, this is the story of the Exodus. So no matter where you are in your walk of faith, there's no shame in this place today. But I want to entice you with this. This is the frustratingly uh, incomplete part of our Exodus. Is it because God has failed? No. It's because we're in the waiting. We're in the wilderness. God has given us a taste of liberation. You understand grace. You understand the forgiveness of your sins. You believe that God is faithful and that he will take your sins away. And you believe that this is what God intends for you. And no matter what your image of heaven is, whether it's an ethereal place up in the sky or a new heaven and earth here, no matter where that is, all of our hearts long for this, right? But the waiting is hard. The waiting takes more from us than we have within ourselves. The waiting is the part that we say, God, why can't you just bring this all together? I had a friend recently in a conversation, just give this throwaway line, and it was like, oh my goodness, he's right. He said, I just don't feel at home here anymore. This isn't my home. It's just not right. The evil, the darkness, the fighting, the the hatred, all of it. Are you with him? Do you feel that? Like, we're made for something better than this. And so our hearts long for this exodus And here we have been now for the ninth week talking about the God who liberates. And some of us, if we're honest deep inside, want to say, when? How much longer do I have to deal with this garbage? And the answer is that every exodus in scripture is temporarily satisfying. Think about it. God calls Abram to father a nation. He does through a long period of time and they become wealthy and they become landowners and then they're taken into slavery in Egypt. Moses leads him out of Egypt, takes him to the wilderness, but all of those 40 years and older die in the wilderness because of the rebellion. They, they stopped listening, trusting, and obeying. Joshua takes them into the promised land, but because of their lack of obedience, the Canaanites survive and become their arch enemies for years and years and years. David and Solomon secure the land and build the great temple where the presence of God can join his people here on earth in the great sacrificial place, and then they They divide and split. 
They're taken into exile as a punishment, calling them to repent, and God delivers them back into the promised land as he said he would. And then what happens? Idolatry comes back with the exiles. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Is it ever going to work? This temporarily satisfying exodus is okay, but we need something more. We need something more substantial. We need to hold on to something. In the 1700s, a Christian by the name of William Williams, yes, that's what his parents did. (laughs) William Williams wrote a famous hymn that speaks of the lament. It speaks of this longing in our heart for salvation to be more than just one day in the future. Temporarily satisfying and frustratingly incomplete. This is what he wrote. And the words will be on the screen because I could sing it to you, but you'd all leave. So here we go. Guide me, O my great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Listen to the Exodus imagery. Open now the crystal fountain where the healing waters flow. Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou my strength and shield. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, Jesus. Land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praise I will ever give to you. Land me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears. Bid my anxious fears. God, land me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears. Bid my anxious fears goodbye. Sounds like our hearts, doesn't it? It's my lament. Is it yours? So much brokenness. So much pain. Every time the phone rings, am I the only one? It's seldom good news. It's another broken heart, another broken marriage, another broken home, and another death. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here going, I'm going to give up. No, I'm not going to give up because I realize we are not home. We are in the wilderness of our exodus. And we have to remain faithful. Let's not be like the Israelites who were faithful when it was good and quit the moment it got hard. We have to learn to wait. Because we will wait. And we will wait. And we will doubt. And then we will trust. We will grow. We will have wins. We will have losses. We will wait We will hurt, we will weep, we will wait, we will wait, he will deliver. Faithfulness is holding on to who our deliverer is, not our ability to deliver ourselves. So I want to take you to the book of Revelation. Because I was taught this about a year and a half, two years ago, and it blew my mind. I was so frustrated I didn't know this beforehand, but I'm smart enough to realize I got a lot to learn. And when I learn this, I want to share it with you. I want you to see in the revelation, the revelation of Jesus, the revealing of Jesus, the great deliverer, is retelling the Exodus story and finally completing it. This is the grand finale. The revealing of Jesus is the grand finale to all the Exoduses that have ever taken place in Scripture. But please understand that what we're about to see is not the revelation of the organization of the church, or the revelation of the organization of a, good, a better man, a, a, a greater version of humanity. No, it is the revelation of Jesus, that he is the deliverer. It is not by our efforts, by our perfection, or by our improvements that we're delivered. It's by the mighty hand of God reaching out to his people through Jesus, each and every time. Look with me at Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now, can I paraphrase this for you? Because you're going to hear a refrain that we've used throughout this entire series. Here's the refrain. Blessed are those who listen, trust what they hear, and do it. This is what John was given when the apostle John was given the revelation by God. The word was, pay attention to what I'm saying and trust me and I will deliver you. Stay faithful unto death. Do not quit in the waiting. Stay faithful. So what I want to do is I want to show you four or five pieces in the revelation that will sound a whole lot like the book of Exodus if we pay attention. The first is the book begins in chapter one and chapter four, and we're just going to highlight these. I trust that you will take time if you want to dig deeper in this. It's right there in front of you. In chapters one and four, we realize that the presence calls us to himself. Sounds so familiar to the story of Moses. Moses is watching his father-in-law's herds on a hillside, and he hears his name, Moses, Moses. He turns around, he sees a burning bush. You remember the story. And God calls him and says, I'm going to give you words that I want you to take to Pharaoh and the people of Israel, and I want you to give them these words. The Apostle John, in the Revelation, has a very similar moment. Instead of being awakened by a small voice coming from a burning bush, John gets a bigger version of this. John's name is called, he's told to awaken, and he looks and he sees Jesus. But he doesn't see a bush on fire, he sees a man on fire. Read the illustration of what Jesus looked like. Remember, John knew Jesus. He had been friends with him. He had been in in tight community with him for over three years. He knew this man well, but when he sees Jesus in the glorified, powerful, man-on-fire stance, his feet burning, he falls on his face. And Jesus says, stand up, I got something. I need you to go to the powers of the world, and I need you to tell them this. It's a similar story of Moses. But like Moses, John was called to God to be the one that would speak the words of God to the world. Church, that's us too. We are called by the presence of Jesus in our life to have a message to the world that the great deliverer is coming. Pay attention to what he says, trust in who he is, and do what he asks. The second thing I want you to see is that the deliverer frees us into this covenantal relationship we talk about. Remember, a covenant is not a contract. A covenant is agreement between two people to honor each other, to keep their word, to be faithful to one another. God will always keep his covenant promises because God is always faithful. You and I, on the other hand, eh. So what do we do? Jesus comes to his church, offering them a covenantal relationship. It's found in chapters two and three in your text. And I'm just gonna summarize it for you because this is one of the most powerful passages and well-known passages in all of Revelation. You've probably heard a bunch of series of sermons on Revelation two and three. So we know what Jesus is doing. He comes And he calls his people to covenant responsibilities, to certain things that show that they are in agreement with him. Certain, like when when God called Moses and Moses took the people out of Egypt after the plagues and through the Red Sea, when they got on the other side, you might remember, we talked about this, that God called those men who had never been circumcised, had never entered into the covenant with God, that this would be the time to pledge their allegiance to God in covenant. You also might remember we had a term we used during this series saying God loves a good memorial. The Passover, circumcision, the sacrificial system that he put in place was altered. And then he gives, be careful, this isn't what we agreed to. And in these moments, I want to just remind you of what Jesus gives the attaboys and girls over. He commends them for patient endurance with the truth. Jesus realizes we live in a world that does not agree with him and thinks that his truths are old-timey. 
Yet Jesus said, I applaud you for holding to the truth of the scriptures, to trusting me because you've listened. He commends them for faithfully proclaiming the gospel, that he is the only hope, that he is the only way, the only way to God, the only truth of God is found only in Jesus Christ. When other pharaohs pop up and command that they have power and authority, Jesus said, remember who really does. He commends them for trusting through suffering. See, one of the things I want to encourage all of us is, yes, the waiting, the waiting, the waiting in this world is harder than we ever thought it would be, but we are reminded that even in our suffering for the cause of Christ, he will deliver. Just as he suffered to bring deliverance, he will deliver those who suffer. And then Jesus corrects. See if this doesn't sound familiar to the book of Exodus or to the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus calls his church and he says, you're tolerating idols and immorality. How? How can you do that knowing that that's the enslavement? That idolatry and immorality is the poison that's killing you. He corrects them for tolerating false teaching. He says, don't even listen to it. Don't allow it. Stand up to it. Hold to the truth. He corrects them for a lack of love and a lack of commitment. I will spit you out of my mouth. Be hot or, or cold, but don't play in between. It gets you nowhere. It's another form of enslavement. Yet in the midst of all of this, here's the good news, church. As Jesus calls us and corrects us, he does it with the spirit of repentance. He's calling us by his mercy and love to free ourselves repeatedly from the slavery we enter into. Seven times by his mercy, I want you to see seven times this exact statement is used in Revelation chapters two and three, and it's related completely to this concept of obedience. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Whoever has ears, let him hear. What's the first step in God's cycle of liberation? Listen. Listen. You can't trust if you don't know. You can't obey if you don't know. So he says to each church, whoever has ears, listen. In Revelation 2, 5, he says, unless you repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand being the authority to be the church of Christ, to be his people. He says, unless you repent, which means you can. Can you see it? It sounds like a negative, but it's actually a positive. If you repent, you will be my people. You will return as King David did from your sin back to my healing presence. In Revelation 3.20, it says, I stand at the door and knock. This is a beautiful image. Remember that that passage, Jesus is not talking to unsaved people, to the heathens of the world. He's actually knocking on the door of his own church saying, can I be a part of this? Would you open yourself to this relationship with me? We're gonna do a quick survey. It won't appear on the screens. I hope you have your Bibles open. Look at chapter two, verse seven. I just wanna read the opening lines. You'll see a, a similar theme. To the one who is victorious, verse 11. The one who is victorious, verse 17. To the one who is victorious, verse 26. To the one who is victorious, chapter three, verse five. The one who is victorious, chapter 12. The one who is victorious, chapter 21. Can you guess? The one who is victorious. You see, you and I don't have to wonder what brings victory. We don't have to wonder what Jesus wants. We don't have to question what he feels about us. It is all so clear. He wants to bring victory, even while we wait, even while we suffer, even while we wonder. You see, he calls us to himself, 
He establishes a relationship with us that there are those moments in our life that we must dedicate our fidelity to him, our faithfulness to him. And should we do that, we will then experience his faithfulness. The third thing I want you to see is that the deliverer releases us as our Passover lamb. Now, if I had a, a, we were in a classroom setting, I would put two words up on the board, that he releases us through the Passover lamb like he did in the book of Exodus. But this case, John shows us that he releases us as the Passover lamb, a far more final, complete sacrifice. John sees a scroll and the history of the world's written on it. And all of heaven laments the fact that nobody can open them and tell them what's going to happen. Is this going to work out? Will there be victory? And no one can open it. And they're weeping in heaven over this. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Look at it with me. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Verse 7. The lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of whom he sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Let's pause there for a moment. Do you remember in the Exodus when they left Egypt that night after the Passover? That it was more than just the Jews that left? Some Egyptians joined them. God from the very beginning has, call, has been calling all nations out of slavery, not just certain ones. We get to verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and on and on it goes, repeating that our deliverer delivers us as our Passover lamb and not just through one. It's also beautiful. You remember in Exodus, if they had blood on the doorpost, the angel of death went by their home and their firstborn lived only because of the blood. Chapter seven tells us that through the blood of this lamb, those that are covered in his blood cannot be harmed. Nothing can be taken from us that matters because we're protected by our lamb. Then we see in verses eight, or chapters eight through 18 that the deliverer destroys the worldly idols and powers. Much like Moses went in with the power of God and displayed the glory of God to the world, Pharaoh crumbled to his knees eventually because every tool he had in his bag, every trick he had, all the power he thought he had, it was absolutely emasculated in the presence of God. He was humbled. His army was drowned. Everything was taken from him. We know the story of the Exodus. If you read Revelation 8 through 18, do you know what you're going to see? It's happening again. The Pharaohs of the world are humbled. They're broken. And then you might even notice a similar theme. Plagues come from heaven in the Revelation. See if they don't sound familiar. Water turning to blood, frogs, boils, hailstones, locusts, darkness. He's doing it again, just like he said he would. The rhythms of God are effective if we listen, trust, and obey. You see, he calls us to himself. He calls us into relationship. He is our Passover lamb and no worldly power or authority can stand up to him. And the deliverer restores us to the new garden of Eden. As Moses and Joshua led the people to the promised land, 
our great deliverer, the greater Moses will lead us into the final promised land. One that is not just temporarily satisfying, but one that's completely satisfying. The defeat of the enemy, the commander. The serpent has been thrown into the waters, never to rise again, completely destroyed. A new city, just like David purchased the land and built this beautiful city of Jerusalem and Solomon built a temple that God through the great new deliverer, the greater David, the greater Solomon is going to build a new city and a new place for all of us. And it's complete. But here's the good news. Our final exodus is not about a land. It's not about a location or a mountaintop. It's about God. He's the gift. God is the benefit of the exodus. He is the thing we get, the presence of God restored, just like in the Garden of Eden. Look at chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 with me. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things we're living in. The old order of things is what is crushing us. The old order of things is what takes our hope. It makes us despondent. It makes the waiting troublesome. It makes us wonder out loud. Instead of questioning the old order, we question God. And we cry out, where are you? Where is this liberation? John answers it. Upon the revealing of Jesus, our answers will be full. Our questions will be answered. And our faith will be rewarded. And when John, or when, excuse me, King David established Jerusalem, he asked God if he could build him a place where the people could gather and the presence of God could come. And God said, David, you can't, there's blood on your hands, but your son Solomon will build my temple. And they would all gather. And yet the city of Jerusalem was taken apart in the captivity. It was destroyed. The the beautiful temple was never raised to be the same of what it was. So much was lost in those moments. And we hear that he's going to bring a new city unto a new heaven and a new earth, a new holy mountain where God will sit on the throne. And we look at it we say everything seems parallel except this in the revelation there's no temple look at chapter 21 verse 22 i did not see a temple in the city because the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple wow it'll be better it'll be more powerful it'll be more pure we don't need a place to go meet god god will come and walk the earth with us again god will be in our midst We don't have to go to a location. He'll be with us. Where we are, he is, just like the Holy Spirit promises us every day. There's a great story of redemption in the scriptures, all the way back to when Adam and Eve sinned and we lost our home. We lost our place. We lost his presence. In the midst of this, God reached out with his mighty arm and began drawing us to him over and over and over through the merciful love of God. And by his outstretched arm are we saved. In all the stories we've told in this series, We didn't get to talk about Noah, but it's there. Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Joshua, David, King Josiah, they were all considered deliverers, yet none of them delivered anybody by their own power. They were always delivered by the hand of God and they spoke for God because God is the deliverer. And through Jesus Christ, we realize it. J.R.R. Tolkien was correct, which is ridiculous that I could say he's correct, but he was correct. He said it this way. 
At the end of all time, everything sad will become untrue. Doesn't that feel right? C.S. Lewis said, the dream has ended and we awaken to a new morning. That's what we hope for. That hope can sustain us in the waiting and the hurting. It can sustain us in the doubting and the crying. It can sustain us in the moments that we wonder. Think about what the promise of Revelation says. Nothing but clusters of grapes and hills lined with fig trees, milk and honey, justice and joy, springs of water, rivers of wine. The mountains and the hills will break forth with singing and the trees will clap their hands. Even creation will be freed from this current malaise. How sin has destroyed and entrapped us, enslaved us. Our liberation is promised, even though sometimes those chains feel like they're still on us. C.S. Lewis says it's further up and further in. The more we know God at the revelation of Jesus, he will take us further up and further in into the presence of God. And then listen to me, church. No more fear. No more war. No more threats. No more pharaohs. No more fatigue, no more chronic pain, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more sexual abuse, no more physical abuse, no more mental abuse, no more disabilities, no more people starving, no more people lonely, no more people judged by their skin color, their gender, their education, their economics, their language, their location, no more division. No more lying, no more betraying, no more being taken advantage of or taking advantage of. No more untruth, no more hate, all love, all peace, all hope. I wanna ask you to do something very uncomfortable. I want you to answer this question for me and I want you all to do it together and let's break the rules out loud. I'm gonna ask you, what is your no more? What is the no more on this earth that you wanna experience in heaven? And I'm gonna give you a second to think about it, but I want you to answer me. What is the thing you most celebrate and hold on hope to that through the power of the resurrection, there will be no more fill in the blank? Are you ready? Count of three. I'll say no more and we'll all say together what it is and let that be our cry of hope. No more, one, two, three. And it'll be true. No more. We will be delivered. He will deliver us from all of this slavery. But remember, our exodus starts in slavery and it ends in worship. Revelation twenty-two twenty says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring all of the no mores with you as he heals all of us. I want to ask you a series of questions this morning. Do you hear his voice calling you to be free from your enslavery, that you might be free to worship him? If you hear that voice, listen. Do you desire the freedom only found through the blood of Jesus Christ? Trust him. Do you live daily to serve your king, your deliverer? Can you worship him in the waiting? Can you worship him in the wondering? Can you worship in the suffering? Can you worship in the hope of the resurrection? That that is enough to tell your heart, our deliverer comes and it will be complete. There are two tables in the back of this room that have lamps. 
turned on right now. People are going to those tables to meet with you. You might need someone to pray with you this morning. You might need someone who just listens. Maybe you wanna pray for somebody else and not just yourself, but somebody else that might understand that this God is worth listening to, trusting and obeying because he is the deliverer. He's the hope of all nations. Maybe you need that this morning or maybe for the first time in your life, you need to hear the voice of God calling you to come out of your slavery into life. You need to trust him that Jesus is enough as your Passover lamb and you need to live your life to serve him, love him and honor him even in the waiting. We will be delivered by Jesus. He promises his words are always true. Maybe this morning is the first time in your life you take a knee before King Jesus and ask him to deliver you from yourself so that you might live for him. Because there's many people in this room who will tell you that's the best decision you'll ever make. It begins in slavery. The exodus ends in worship. Let's stand together and worship him in song. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.